are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Glad you are here in person and online. I will try not to flaunt my coffee too much in front of you if you're looking for some. I know you at home probably have some sort of French press going on right now, and so I probably should be envious of you. Uh, let's just jump in today to use our time well. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians um, for the most of the work today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, And then we'll proceed through some other verses. You know, the most universal call of every person of faith is that we would be like Jesus. That is the call, that we would look like Jesus. Christ-likeness is the highest priority of the Christian faith. Christ-likeness is more important than any sort of spiritual gift that I might claim it's more important than my personality traits. It's more important than my Enneagram score. It's more important than any intellectual knowledge that I may possess. Christ-likeness is more important than my opinions, more important than my preferences. It's more important than the causes I support, the things that I want, the relationships that I have the possessions that I own. Christ-likeness has the priority over my marriage. It has the priority over my spouse. It has the priority over my children. Christ-likeness has the priority over my bank account. It has priority over my job, my comfort, my happiness, my reputation, and my fears. There is nothing in us or outside of us that is greater than the call to be like Christ. Because to be like Christ is what it means to flourish as a parent, as a child, as a son, as a daughter, as a boss, as an employee, as a friend, as a citizen, or any other title or role that we may have on this world. Christ-likeness matters. And if my goal is to be a better mom, a better dad, a better husband, a better employee, a better friend, a better citizen, the aim, the target is the same, that I would be more like Jesus, the Son of God. There is nothing more important to the Father than that those who profess faith in Him be conformed into the image of His Son. There is nothing that promotes his glory and goodness more than us looking like Jesus. There is no other way that God has chosen to reconcile the world, to bring the world back to himself outside of those who profess faith in Christ looking like the image of Jesus. And there will be nothing when I die that I'm judged for outside of Did I reflect the sun to the world? God loves us 
to be like his son. And so much does he love it, that he sent the helper, the Holy Spirit that guides us, that convicts us, that wages a battle against our passions and our flesh and our sinful desires in order that he may remake us into a more perfect image of Jesus. And so through our faith, like we got faith, we have righteousness and salvation, but upon our profession of faith, of belief, Jesus doesn't become somewhat of a possession of ours. A possession like a, a fine vase or a, a beautiful picture that we might have in our homes. A possession that people might only see if they visit our homes and maybe go in the rooms where those artwork and that vase is displayed. But no, when we profess Christ, we are the ones that become the precious possession of our God. Jesus Christ bought us through his blood. We are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are image bearers of God. And we are to be used for his purposes. And his purposes alone. Paul would say, it is not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And so God is remaking us into the Son so that in the public arenas of our lives, in the private arenas of our lives, that others would see us and see the God that loves us in us, that they would come to faith in him. And what they will see in us is what we call fruit, the evidence that God lives in us. And, and we have been walking through that idea of fruit that comes from the Spirit for the last five weeks that walking by the Spirit produces a new fruit, a new way for God's glory and for our joy. And so we said this fruit isn't just like characteristics. These aren't just attributes that we're working to try to achieve, but they are the flavor of the Spirit and the desire of the Spirit that is working out in our lives as we of faith die to self and live for Christ. Not that we could ever earn God's approval, but simply abiding in the God who is well-pleased in us through Christ. And so Paul says that spirit has a flavor. It has a fruit. It has an evidence that it's in your life. And that flavor looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the flavor of the spirit. They're not just traits. They're descriptors of what the spirit is and, and how he should reveal himself in our lives. And the spirit brings those traits together to make a different kind of peace, a different kind of love, a different kind of joy and self-control than what the world would show. We're all image bearers of God. Every one of us created in God's image, in here or out there. We all reflect in some degree the characteristics of God. And so we said this multiple times. You don't have to be a Christian to be kind. You don't have to be a Christian to be joyful. But it is in the Holy Spirit that those attributes are bound together and increased in a way that the world comes to see us differently. It produces a different flavor. Last week we talked about peace. And so far we've walked through love and joy and peace. And we've said that that love comes external. It's the, the love of the Father that's poured out for us. It's an external love made inward, and that love works in sync to produce my joy, and my love and my joy work together to produce my faith. There is a synchronicity 
to all of these things. And so we talked about peace attained last week, and this week we look forward to peace that is given. Last week we were reminded that the entire breadth of Scripture reveals how desperate God is to bring peace to humanity. He wants peace with us because there isn't peace. Humanity has rejected God, rebelled against God, and are living in sin. We've rejected the idea of being an image of God that find their completeness in Him and dependency on Him. We've rejected to being an image, and we desire and pursue to be God. We just, we would rather be God than an image of God. And we are at war with God. And that war has spilled itself out into our relationships with others. And that war has spilled it out into ourselves. And God is angry and sad at humanity's sin and choosing and desires to bring restoration, reconciliation, peace into that relationship. But for that to happen, there has to be a means that satisfies the void between an imperfect, rebellious humanity and a holy, righteous, perfect God. There must be a means to satisfy the wrath that God has for sin, the sadness that the Father has, and to absorb the violence of humanity that is at war with God. And so in Jesus Christ, we see on the cross, he absorbs all of the Father's sadness, all of the Father's wrath against our sin, and at the same time absorbs all the violence of humanity in our sin, in our shame, in our suffering. And in his death, we have seen peace purchased for mankind. And in his new life, it is offered to us as a gift of faith. And so we say that peace is not a feeling. Peace is not the absence of anything. It's not the absence of conflict or the absence of annoyances in our lives. Peace is not a state of mind. Peace is a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ because he has showed us what peace is. He has showed us shalom. Our Bibles talk about shalom as peace. That is the peace that the Bible talks about, and it doesn't mean quietness or calmness, it reveals something deeper, a peace that happens when you enter into brokenness and make it whole again. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for the world. He has stepped into the brokenness and the mess of humanity, and he has set it right. He has given us peace. And so through Christ, we are no longer at war. We're not at war with ourselves. We're not at war with God. We're not at war with others. On the cross, it was finished. God has shown us just how much He cares and values and loves us in sending the Son. We are not at war. We have peace. And that peace that we have through Christ is not ours just to hold, it's ours to give because we are God's precious possession being remade into the image of his son. We have the peace of God that we can declare the peace of God to the world. And this is what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this will launch us into maybe three points for us to understand how to be a people that not only hold the peace of God, but give it. And so let's read this together here. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Uh, I'll read it out loud. Verse 16. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Two things that I want to explore in this passage, this idea of no longer looking at people according to the flesh and what this title of ambassador means. If we look at the chapter before this and the few verses before uh, Paul writes this particular verse, these grouping verses in chapter 5, we see Paul see a number of things that sort of fit together. In in chapter 4, verse 18, it says that we do not look at things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. He says that these earthly tents will be destroyed and we will be someday given eternal bodies in heavens in chapter 5, verse 1. He says that we walk by faith, not by sight, in verse 7 of the 5th chapter. And in the 12th chapter, he writes that we do not glory in appearances, but we glory in the heart. And then here, we see Paul write that we regard no one according to the flesh. And so, the appeal is clear. We are not to judge others by the flesh. We are not to divide others by the flesh because God doesn't look at the flesh. He looks at the heart. We once thought of Jesus in the flesh, but he's no longer. He's ascended at the right hand of the Father. But humanity, we are good at separating people. We're good at classifying people. We're good at dividing people. We divide people from race, to gender, to power, to wealth, to intelligence, where they were born, whom they were born to, what their last name is, what they do, what they did, what they didn't do, who they know, who they don't know. We find all sorts of ways to label people. And what Paul is saying is that none of that matters anymore. None of those divisions matter anymore. Jew nor Greek, we do not judge people according to the flesh. We look at the heart. That's not our job. We are ambassadors. We are agents. And when I say that, we understand that we're agents, not authors. We're ambassadors, not kings. Think about that role for a second. What does it mean to be an ambassador? An ambassador does not seek to please the audience that's assembled in front of them. They have one desire, and that is to please the king. The ambassador does not have his own authority. His preferences and opinions matter very little, only commissioned to say what the king has commanded. 
And in our roles as ambassador, we're not just a voice or a message. We are a representative of our true home, of our true king, the kingdom of God. And the honor and the reputation of that kingdom on earth is in our hands. It's in our hands. And so look, when Jesus comes to earth proclaiming peace, there are things that he says that makes this confusing. And in Matthew 10, we see this verse in chapter 10, verse 34, where it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so I understand this isn't a war cry. This isn't about us being angry. This is the truth. Jesus is the sword. There is one divider amongst all of humanity, and it is Jesus Christ. It means that there will simply be people who reject the gospel and reject Jesus. That is the only divider. And even in that reality, we are called to be ambassadors, reconciling the world to them himself. We are at peace with God. It is not our sword to swing. We are not at war with humanity. The only war that wages in us is the war between the spirit and our flesh. We do not war with each other. Salvation has come to all of those who profess the name of the Lord. Every person, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, Jew or Greek, female or male, no matter what sports team you follow, whether you follow the, the Reds or the Cubs, whether you're Republican or Democrat or you watch Fox News or CNN, there is no division outside of that of Jesus Christ. And in that division, we still are to work as an agent of reconciliation. That is our work, the ministry of reconciliation. God is using us, these broken vessels, to restore his peace on earth by transforming us into one degree into the next, more like the image of Jesus, that others would see God changing us, that they would see the very power of God in us. Reconciliation is our job. Paul writes in Colossians 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We are ambassadors of Jesus. We do not represent ourselves. We represent Jesus. Jesus, who shed all of his glory, all of his majesty, to enter into the brokenness of humanity, into the chaos, to restore it. And so that means as an ambassador, my job is not to be passive. My job is not to retreat. But my job as the peace dweller of God is to go into the brokenness, go into the darkness, go into the mess with the aim of restoring peace. Restoring peace between God and man. Peace is not passive. It does not retreat. It is active. Because we have all that we need in King Jesus to endure in this life. We do not need the approval of the audience of this earth. We walk towards each other in reconciliation. 
We have that mindset. And Paul goes on to write in Romans 12, Romans 12, 17 through 19, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul is certainly acknowledging that there will be moments where you can't find peace. But as far as it depends on you, seek it. And so that means for the ambassador, us, that division and disunity are not things that we desire. They're not things that we celebrate. Like believers in Christ, we do not celebrate division. We are sad and we grieve when the body of Christ cannot disagree. We don't elevate it as if we're better. We are not at war with other people. Jesus has set the example in his life. He refused to strike back, innocent, accused, every right to rebel, every right to act out, every right to seek justification and revenge, but he doesn't. He remains silent in front of the Father, and he dies by a conspiracy for the sins of the world. What glory and what fame are we bringing to the Father when we pursue war with one another? There is so much written in our New Testament about reconciling to one another and how we are to go about that. There's so much written about how we are to go to each other and restore each other, how we are to forgive each other. How do you walk towards somebody in our sin and if they've sinned against us? Reconciliation is a huge priority in the Christian life because it was the only priority in the life of Jesus Christ. So why does it feel and seem that there are so many of us at war with one another? Not in this room, per se, but in the world. Why are there so many of us that are so quick to judge and condemn and divide when we proclaim the hope and faith in the God of reconciliation? Why does it seem that sometimes we've changed the scripture to say, if possible, as far as it depends on them, live in peace with all? Why does it seem that our opinions and our preferences matter much more to us than what our king has commanded us to say? As far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. That's our responsibility as ambassadors and agents. We are at peace with God. We are not at war God's love reigns in us and through us, and his peace defines us. Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so can I just gently 
remind us today that the only thing that matters in our life is Christ-likeness. That's the only thing that matters. You have died to your old ways, being made a new, uh, being made a new creation, ambassadors of the king of the universe. We do not represent ourselves anymore. We represent the God of restoration who has entrusted you and I with the ministry of reconciliation, declaring to the world that God has made peace with man through Christ. And so listen, anytime we throw our peace away, anytime that we forget our peace, anytime there is a desire in us to defend ourselves, to lash out in anger, it is the Holy Spirit of God revealing to us that there are things in our lives that we love more than Jesus. There are things in our lives that take greater precedence over Jesus. They are idols. And in today's environment, they're not hard to see. You don't have to go looking for the war that wages. It finds you. You see it in the news. You can see it on social media. So many are at war with each other. And I wonder, might it be the grace of God? Might it be the grace of God that he might be, without our own seeing and knowledge, be revealing to us in this time things that matter more to us than him? Have we ever thought of the question, do I love my freedom more than I love my Savior? We're grateful for our freedom. What do we want any other way? No. But it's an idol if we love it more than we love Jesus. Do we love our safety more than we love Jesus? Doesn't mean that we go play out in the streets. But maybe it is the grace of God that he reveals it in his Holy Spirit that I love safety and my well-being more than I love his call. It's the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit that reveals some very hard things in us. Friends, we are not at war. We are at peace. And we don't need to fight. We don't hold a sword. We have a Savior. And He is our King. And we are His representatives. And His reputation and that kingdom's reputation and honor is in our hands. And that is a profoundly weighty responsibility. Are we willing to carry it? Because Paul reminds us here that divisions don't matter. Jesus is the only thing that matters. The heart is the only thing that matters. All other things are gone. There will be a day when all tribes and nations all tribes, but heaven will be full of all sorts of tribes and nations. We are not about dividing. And remember that we are agents, ambassadors, not kings. We represent Jesus to the world. Spurgeon wrote, he's the, he's the author of the 
the famous phrase, what would Jesus do? He's the, he didn't make the bracelets. He sort of just coined the phrase. And he said, what would Jesus do? And then consider this, how would Jesus do it? Might we consider how Jesus would do this more? And the last thing that we always have to remember, as far as it depends on you, not on them, on you, of faith, live in peace, pursue it. We have so much conflict in our lives. We've invented terms like ghosting, where we just, there's conflict, and we just, we don't even deal with it. There is so much conflict in our lives that brings so much unease in our lives that we are called to reconcile and pursue as agents of reconciliation and as we listen to the Holy Spirit for what he reveals. We're not at war. We have a costly peace through Jesus Christ. And it is what we live by, for, and it is what we declare to the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we just, uh, we don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it when your spirit prompts things in me that I just hold as important that aren't compared to you. So, Lord, I just pray that you, through your gentle voice, the urging of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would cause us to question where I'm just throwing my peace away, where I'm not living in your kingdom where you are king. Lord, will you just convict me of where I fail to represent you in a way that brings honor and glory to you? And Father, we thank you for the grace that you give us, that even in those things you do not contend us or condemn us. God, help us to have the freedom to walk to you and for you and by you because of your grace. And so, Jesus, we just love you and thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for the peace that you restored. Thank you that I can be a son and daughter. And thank you for allowing me into your work to be agents of reconciliation, taking you and your peace into hard, difficult places. Help us to walk towards that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.